The purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. This is not a substitute for professional medical care and is not intended for use in the diagnosis or treatment of individual conditions. Guests on this podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. The mention of any product, service, organization, activity, or therapy should not be construed as an ASCO endorsement. Hello and welcome to the ASCO Guidelines podcast series. My name is Shannon McKernan, and today I'm interviewing Dr. Randy Taplitz from UC San Diego Health, lead author on antimicrobial prophylaxis for adult patients with cancer-related immunosuppression, ASCO and IDSA clinical practice guideline update. Thank you for being here, Dr. Taplitz. Thank you. So first, can you give us a general overview of what this guideline covers? Yes. I mean, I think... We're all aware that uh, infection in the setting of neutropenia associated with cancer chemotherapy is really a major cause of morbidity in these patients. Um, And it's also important to be aware that prevention and appropriate management of febrile, febrile neutropenia and infection should thus be a critical focus in cancer care. Um, So the focus of this particular guideline Um, was to evaluate the risk and benefits of antimicrobial prophylaxis in these patients and really to determine evidence-based best practices for prevention of infection uh, and how to go about doing that. So in this guideline, um, what we do is um, we identify the groups at risk for febrile neutropenia and really recommend settings for which uh, prophylaxis with antibacterial, antifungal, Uh, antiviral medications are indicated, and then as well make recommendations for consideration of vaccination uh, and other measures um, such as respiratory etiquette and hand hygiene and the like um, that will help reduce the risk of infection in these uh, vulnerable uh, patients. So since this is an update of a 2013 guideline, what are the major changes and can you tell us a little bit about the research that informed this update? Yes. um, Really, when you update a guideline, um, one is informed by review of articles um, that encompass, uh, in this setting, randomized clinical trials, as well as meta-analysis of interventions to prevent uh, microbial infections in patients with neutropenia or other types of immunosuppression. Um, And one example of this, I think one of the better examples is we reviewed a large meta-analysis of antibiotic prophylaxis uh, in neutropenic patients after chemotherapy um, that showed that fluoroquinolone prophylaxis resulted in really significant reductions in all-cause mortality and febrile episodes, um, particularly in patients who were high risk, uh, meaning the hematologic malignancy population and stem cell transplant population. And in that particular population, in fact, the number needed to treat to prevent one death was 29. So therefore, in that high-risk population, really, as with prior guidelines, um, the fluoroquinolone prophylaxis is recommended. However, we also reviewed other articles that include um, emerging data on some of the risks of fluoroquinolone prophylaxis. So for instance, the effect of fluoroquinolone on the intestinal microbiome and its um, association with selection of fluoroquinolone-resistant bacteria, such as uh, gram-negative rods, as well as selection of organisms such as Clostridium difficile and Enterococcus, 
Um, and then we also reviewed fluoroquinolone toxicities. So um, what is added to this guideline are some qualifying statements, alerting clinicians to really be aware for these concerns um, and to consider what the clinical spectrum of things like uh, Clostridium difficile infection, et cetera, look like. Um, in terms of antifungal prevention, including pneumocystis prevention, we really haven't um, made any major changes uh, to this guideline, um, with the exception that um, in this new guideline, um, the panel has also started looking at complications associated with immunotherapy um, and actually uh, makes a suggestion that um, people consider pneumocystis prophylaxis in the setting of prolonged steroid use um, when it's used to treat uh, immune-related adverse events that um, we've begun to see in increasing numbers associated with um, agents like checkpoint inhibitors and other immunotherapies. In terms of viral infections, um, the updated guidelines recommend risk assessment for hepatitis B reactivation and then treatment in accordance with um, other ASCO guidelines um, and uh, yearly influenza vaccine, as well as really endorsing uh, other vaccines as described in uh, the Infectious Disease Society of America guideline for vaccination in immunocompromised hosts. So really, those are, those are the, the main new events since 2013. And what are the key recommendations of this guideline? So the key recommendations, the first thing is what we call a risk assessment. So after what one does is carefully assess really what the risk of febrile neutropenia is, and that includes assessment of patient, um, what the cancer is, and what the treatment-related factors are. And then after they're, they're sort of risk-adjusted and risk-assessed, um, then we sort of take in turn different forms of prophylaxis that we consider. And so the first one that we always consider is antibiotic prophylaxis um, against bacterial infections. And the recommendation is still with a fluoroquinolone. Um, and that's recommended for most patients who are at high risk for febrile neutropenia or profound, really prolonged neutropenia, such as those getting uh, therapy for uh, AML or myelodysplastic syndrome or stem cell transplant uh, recipients, particularly with myeloablative regimens. Um, in the lower risk groups, such as those with most solid tumors, fluoroquinolone prophylaxis is not recommended. Um, in terms of antifungal prophylaxis, um, what is recommended is an oral triazole or mycofungin for patients, again, at risk for profound protracted neutropenia, such as that AML, MDS, uh, stem cell transplant group, um, during the period of neutropenia. Um, when um, the risk of invasive aspergillus is high, um, such as in patients with um, AML or MDS during the neutropenia period while getting chemotherapy, um, then the consideration of a mold-active um, triazole is recommended. And in addition, um, should be considered in the context of um, stem cell transplant recipients with graft-versus-host disease. Um, in terms of PCP prophylaxis, um, PCP preventive therapies are recommended for those at high risk for PCP, which include those um, on greater than what we say 20 milligrams of prednisone equivalent a day for over a month or based on purine analog use. Um, viral prophylaxis for HSV is recommended um, for seropositive patients undergoing allogeneic stem cell transplant or leukemia induction 
And then, as I mentioned before, patients at risk for hepatitis B reactivation are recommended uh, treatment with a nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitor. And this is uh, more um, uh, carefully discussed uh, in uh, the ASCO provisional cl clinical opinion on hepatitis B virus screening for patients with cancer before therapy. It's also recommended that a yearly flu uh, vaccine uh, is given to patients, as well as given to family, household contacts, and healthcare workers. Um, other vaccination recommendations are as per the Infectious Disease Society of America guidelines for um, vaccination of immunocompromised hosts. And then the other um, things that are recommended are uh, really review and rec re repeat recommendation of adherence with hand hygiene, with respiratory etiquette, which is re recommended and really required for all healthcare workers. Um, and that outpatients with neutropenia from cancer chemotherapy should uh, avoid uh, high-risk activities, which include really contact with environments that have high concentration of fungal spores, such as construction and demolition, high-intensity gardening, et cetera. So those are really a summary of the key recommendations of this guideline. And finally, how will these guideline recommendations affect patients? I think it's important to remember that to um, ensure best practices on infection prevention, the literature needs to be reviewed frequently and guidelines need to be updated. I, I don't think that these current guidelines will dramatically change the preventive strategies that are used for patients with the exception of perhaps a few extra vaccines, you know, some newer indications for pneumocystis prevention, hepatitis B reactivation prevention, those kinds of things. However, I think in reviewing the literature, it becomes clear what we will need to be thinking about in the coming years, what we will need to be assessing. And a couple of those things are the dramatic increase in the use of immune-based therapies and how that will affect infection risk in patients with or without neutropenia. Uh, we need to be considering the effects of routine antibiotic prophylaxis on the microbiome and the risks that that might incur. Um, and we need to really understand how new vaccines can be utilized. So, yeah, I think these areas are really ripe for research and need to be followed uh, closely to ensure optimization of these preventive strategies uh, for our patients uh, in the future. Thank you for your time today, Dr. Taplitz. You're quite welcome. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into the ASCO Guidelines podcast series. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please rate and review the podcast and refer the show to a colleague.